Y'all, this morning, what I want to say to you, I, uh, I got a little fire in my veins. Um, I, I feel very passionate about this subject because it is one of the silent killers um, that is out there. It is something that is, that is killing people and tearing people apart, and it is keeping therapists in business. Um, it is not that they shouldn't be in business, but they, uh, it, is, it is one of the worst, most destructive forces on the face of the earth. And I know sitting there you might say, is it the devil? No, that's not what I'm talking about today. Is it demons? No, that's not what I'm talking today. Is it pride? No, that's next week. I'm talking about fear. And I'm not just talking about fear like I'm afraid what will happen, you know, if my check doesn't clear on Friday. It is, I'm talking about fear-based religion. Religion that uses its primary motivating force um, as fear. It is one of the most destructive things and studies are beginning to come out and um, I see you, Kayla, back there. I'm going to rip off what you put on your Instagram here in a little bit because I found that statistic online. Um, I, I cannot tell you, after growing up in the church, literally since I was born, I'm 41. I know I look like I'm 30, but I'm 41 years old. And I'll be 42 on January 4th, so save your pennies, okay? Um, I... I have never seen something that is so hard to get people to finally um, release out of their lives more than fear that's rooted in religion and faith. It is so destructive. It is rampant. It is really the thing that um, seems to be the brick wall that I run into oftentimes with people that have a background in faith or religion of some sort. It is that thing that's so difficult to overcome. And as uh, the title of this message today is The End of Fear, I truly believe that there's a lot of people that are praying and, and interceding and, and fasting and crying out to God for some sort of revival to sweep our land and all of those things. It's very prominent in Christian communities, and I think that's great and wonderful. I think truly that the awakening that many people are searching for and hoping for will only be made possible when we stop using fear as a primary motivating force in religion. If we think we can scare people to the feet of Jesus, if we think we can uh, manipulate them and shame them into falling at the feet of Jesus, we will never see the potential that we have as the church, the hands and feet of the beautiful love and gospel that we all share together truly reach its potential in the land as long as there is any amount, any amount of fear that's mixed into religion, any amount. I've been reading a couple of psychologists and studies and things that have to do with religious, fear-based religion. I'm going to read you some of them. This was a very famous writer and thinker over the years. He wrote a book after growing up in a Christian home. He wrote a book in 1927 and did a lecture on it called Why I Am Not a Christian. 
His name was Bertrand Russell. And he he said this essentially. He said he expressed his point by saying this, religion is based primarily and mainly upon fear. It is partly the terror of the unknown and partly the wish to feel that you have a kind of elder brother who will stand by you in all of your troubles and disputes. Fear is the basis of the whole thing. Fear of the mysterious, fear of defeat, fear of death. Fear is the parent of cruelty. I want you to sit there for a moment. Fear is the parent of cruelty, and therefore it is no wonder if cruelty and religion have gone hand in hand. It is because fear is at the basis of those two things. I, I, this just absolutely wrecked my mind to realize that people over time who have waged war on people groups in the name of God, they, that cruelty, that that inspiration to do something so cruel towards their neighbors, towards a person whose color of skin doesn't look the same or religion is different or loves differently than they do, whatever it is, the, the war that they waged is based in their own fear and fear really is the birthplace to cruelty. Can I give you an example? Parents oftentimes will be cruel to a LGBTQ um, um, identifying child or teenager. Why? They're afraid. Fear. The fear. What are my friends going to think? The fear that if I, if I endorse this or support this, that I somehow might not make it to heaven or, or God won't be okay with me or my child might, might end up burning in eternal damnation and hell or whatever it is. The, the basis of those cruel acts, those those moments, I, I wrote a couple of these down because there's this, there's this shelter, um, I think it's in Albuquerque, and the lady that has been running the shelter for years, it's for homeless teens who have been kicked out of their homes because of that very reason. And, and this is what she said over the years. She says, I, I think about a 15-year-old boy, real stories from rural Delaware, whose father, a minister in the Church of the Nazarene, attacked him when he told him that he was gay, tried to strangle him, and then immediately banished him from their home. Or a 17-year-old girl whose Pentecostal parents drove her out into the backwoods of New Jersey and tossed her out of the car. I think of the 16-year-old boy from Connecticut whose Catholic mother, upon learning he was gay, called a priest who made him lay down on the floor and attempted to drive the demons out of him. Or the boy from New Hampshire whose Baptist parents told him that God is so disgusted by gay people that he vomits them out. Now, I'm using this as an example for you because I want you to see those parents acted because ultimately they were afraid. They were full of fear, and fear is the birthplace to cruelty. Do you see the the correlation here? And somehow we have made room in every aspect of our life that fear is somehow we have whitewashed it into thinking that it has some sort of positive effect in our lives. I've even heard when I've challenged people who, who preach a, a gospel that is not the gospel because it's not good news, but they preach a gospel that is interwoven with fear and fear-based ideas, I've challenged them on it and they say, well, 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 would you let your kid touch the hot stove? They say, you want your kid to be afraid of the hot stove. You don't want them to play with fire, they're gonna get burned. And that's the response I get. I'm like, that's like a first-grade argument, people. 
I mean, if we don't think there's any more nuance or any more uh, thinking to do beyond a kid touching a hot stove, come on. We're, we're talking about that we will say, oh, you know, perfect love casts out fear. And we're gonna read that a little bit. You know, perfect love casts out fear. In other words, there's no fear in love. And then we'll turn around and say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you wanna be wise, you're gonna fear God. Right? Those two things seemingly conflict. And then you begin to read a little bit about that word in the Hebrew, because it's, it's found in Proverbs, the idea of being, having the fear of the Lord, and you realize that that word fear, I actually, I, I wrote it down because I said, who better than some of these great Jewish scholars who have been studying this for 15 generations in their family? They know a lot more than we do. We like, you know, we went to a Baptist church twice, and now we know more than they do, right? Um, he says, that one of the scholars, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, he said this. He said, knowing what we've learned so far, it should not come as a surprise the fact that uh, the word uh, that they use for fear here actually is translated guts, like, like your gut instinct. And it says that guts have more nerve cells than the brain does, and for this reason, the guts are known as the second brain in the body. Or, or perhaps the brain in shadow. This feeling in, in our guts is the literal meaning of the Hebrew word yirah, which is the word used here for fear. In the Hebraic mindset, when a person is in the presence of something very amazing, he or she feels little and insignificant in the awesome, awesomeness of the event, and that feeling that is in the guts is yirah. It is the feeling inside I get because I'm in the presence of something great not a motivating force in my life to be scared of the consequences that if I step out of line, miss it, make a mistake, don't add up or not enough, that there's gonna be some sort of eternal punishment on my behalf. The fear of God is the idea that I am in awe. I'm in awe at his greatness. I, I feel it in my being, in my bones, in my gut. I feel it. Some of us have bigger guts than others, all right? I have a lot of feeling, all right? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now, that's what it means there. So we've taken, and that word yirah is used every time it talks about the fear of the Lord. And we've used that to say, don't mess with fire. Literally. Don't you mess around. I'll never forget, I, um, I was a you know, new driver, 16 years old, driving super safe. And my dad said to me one time, he said, he said, Dan, I was like, what? He goes, I feel it in my bones. And not that kind of feeling either. The, the good kind of awesome feeling. He wasn't in awe of me in this moment, okay? He said to me, he goes, I feel it. He goes, the Lord spoke to me and said that you've been speeding around town. <laughs> now looking back, I realized the Lord didn't speak that to you. That was a 99% chance I was speeding around town. I'm a risk-taking extrovert with a car at 16 years old, and there's no tracking devices like you creepy parents have now, okay? There's none of that, all right? There was, there was, I was driving, I think my first car was a 1986 Ford, I mean, sorry, 1986 Mercury Cougar. You're welcome. It was a piece of junk. I got it from TJ and Annette Bentley, and TJ used to drive it around and drop food in it, and so when I got it, it was infested with roaches, and I had to literally bomb the inside of it 
with those, you know, those bombs that are used for a room, but I put it in the car. I'm sure it was real safe for me to drive around, and thanks, Mom. And, and the ceiling of the car, till the day I got rid of it, had a ring where that bomb hit the top of it, and a poison, poison above my head, just me just going, like, just the whole time just sucking in poison constantly. Anyways... It's Ford Mercury and um, a Cougar. And my dad said, um, I was like, I am not speeding at all. I don't know what you're talking about. I just, Dad, I, I go five under the speed limit. I would turn signal miles in advance. I don't know what you're talking about. This is not me. You know, meanwhile, that's the same car that I put a hitch on the back of it and then jumped over University Parkway from Lockwood Ridge at about 60. The car got air like Dukes of Hazard, came down on the tail end and bent a Reese hitch. That's how hard I hit in the back of it. I was not driving appropriately, okay? <laughs> and I'll never forget because I was coming over the Ringling Bridge over to that little island there where a Bird Key is, right? I guess that is Bird Key. Coming over that and there was a police officer shooting radar while hiding behind a palm tree. I'm still mad at that guy. Just shooting people coming down, down the hill. You're going to pick up speed, right? I think I was going like 15 over or something like that. And he gave me a ticket and I got home. And I had to tell them because back then, I don't know if they still do it because it's been a while since I had a ticket. But when you got a ticket, you started getting advertisements from all the traffic schools. So you, in your name. So there's, there was no hiding it from mom and dad. You're going to get, unless you can intercept the mail every day, you are going to get found out, right? And so I just came home. I said, I got, I got a speeding ticket, but I was going downhill. I tried to make an excuse for it. My dad said, let me look at that. He looked at it. I'm not kidding you. That ticket was written to me by Officer Heaven. Now, for those of you that didn't grow up in a religious home, you're like, so What? To my dad, that was a sign from God that he had been shown that I was... He said, even heaven is aware that you are driving. I said, that's just the guy's last name for all we know. You know, it, No, he was completely convinced. You know, And I will say this. My mom and dad did an incredible job loving and raising us, but we also grew up in a fear-based environment. There was a, there was a, 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 a certain amount of that because they were doing the best with what they had and what they knew at the time. And we were scared. Jim was talking about this the other day. He said, I remember five, six years old, like you walking home from school or wherever, wherever you were and thinking to himself, um, man, I, I, I don't think I'm gonna get to heaven. Like, you know, today I, maybe I took somebody's, you know, chips or something at the lunch table and thinking that was it. You know, every time we had a guest speaker in, especially if they were prophetic. We were worried, very worried, driving around, because they would come over to the pastor's house, and we were like, we would repent of everything and anything prior to that, because we thought they were going to see our sins and call them out in front of the church. We thought they were going to say, young men, come here, come here, right? Yeah, you've been watching, you've been watching... When we were kids, we weren't allowed to watch the Smurfs because they had spells and they were demonic, okay? Or we weren't allowed to watch He-Man because of Skeletor. If you don't know what that is, you're too young and I hate you, all right? Skeletor was demonic. That's like, you know, so we would sneak that. Jim ended up being the worst one. He just didn't get caught. But this is the one that, like, 17 years old, did an overnight trip 
said he was at a friend's house to Miami to see the Rolling Stones with his friends. But, but Dan was the bad one. <laughs> but Yurah, in this case, does not mean any of that. Yurah means I feel in my soul the greatness and the wonder of the awesomeness of God. So it said this, it says, you want to become wise, don't be scared of God. Don't, don't, don't be fearful of what's going to happen if God finds something out. If you want to be wise, understand how great he is. Let that feeling, so when I'm facing a situation and I feel that feeling in my gut that, hey, I'm partnered with somebody who's great, when everything seems stacked against me, the fear of the Lord inside of me says, yeah, but there's this great being in your life that is rooting for you and is so awe-inspiring that you've, everything's gonna be okay. That's the beginning of wisdom. Amen. I'll handle that one right now. Um, and so I began to study this a little bit. Kayla put something on her Instagram that was really fascinating. And I began to study it specifically um, that was really, really interesting. But she'd said on, on there, and, and I found the study, um, and not that I didn't believe her, but I wanted to find it in writing. I think it was the University of Austin in Texas or something like that. And, and um, they did a study specifically on um, religion and how it plays into um, affecting LGBTQ kids. Now it affects all kids. Um, they found this. They found that scientists for years have believed that the community that comes with church, right, friends, people that you hang out with, small groups, that sort of stuff, that that would somehow lower the suicide rates amongst children, amongst kids. Whether they're straight or gay kids, both categories, the more... Um, the more religious their family was, the higher their suicide attempt rate was. And then if they're LGBTQ kids, if their family had a religious affiliation, in other words, they, they attended church on a regular basis, they were 38% more likely to attempt suicide than if their family was not a part of the church. Don't give me this tell them the truth in love stuff. Because that truth that you said was loving them well, that truth that you said was going to set them free, made them 38% more likely to want to kill themselves. Fear-based religion is killing people. It's killing kids, it's killing teens, it's killing people. And some adults that may not commit suicide over it, they, they die inside and just wait to finally die physically and move on and just hope they did enough to get into the pearly gates 
so that them and their family won't be sent to hell to burn in eternity by the so-called loving, all wonderful God who would do anything for his children. Tell me how any of this makes sense, church. You say, well, all they have to do is receive Jesus and then that's it. Really? I've been around you folks who've received Jesus and half of you think you're going to hell. Because it's like, it's, it's, the, it's the ultimate bait and switch. Fear-based religion is the ultimate bait and switch. It's like, come receive this. It's like a drug dealer. It's like, come receive this free gift. Here's a TikTok for you. Come receive this free gift. We've got Jesus. It's free. You don't have to do anything. All the price is paid. And then you come to the altar and you're weeping. Oh my gosh, I need this in my life. And they go, here's the free gift. And the rest of your life, you are told what you have to do so that you can add up, so you can stack up, so that you're bearing the fruit, enough fruit. Who gets to decide how much fruit you've bore to get you into heaven? And if you add extra to the offering, somehow that makes you more fruitful. Let's be real. And the whole time, it was never intended to be this free gift that once you receive it, it now obligates you to be this perfect thing or they can't really love Jesus if, you know, they, they, they got divorced. They can't really love Jesus if, you know, I think I saw them the other day out having a cocktail with a colleague. They can't really love Jesus. Well... Where does that come from? Why are we so cruel to one another? Why are religions and denominations and people so cruel to one another? Because fear is the birthplace to cruelty. And we have to be cruel because ultimately we are scared that we ourselves do not have enough in the spiritual bank account to get us out of the fiery pit into heaven. And I'm telling you, I can't cuss in church, but I want to. It's a load of crap. It is a lot. If you don't hear anything I say for the rest of your lives, hear this. It is the greatest lie ever sold in the entire world. It is that God is nice and mean and happy and angry and hopeful and then sad. It is not true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is full of love and hope for humanity no matter who you are or where you come from. And it doesn't stop the day you receive Jesus. It goes on and on and on and on in your life and mine from now till death. He is with us. He is for us. He is full of hope for you and I and it never ends. And anything else is a lie. It is a lie. It is a big, fat, ugly lie. Okay? You hear me today? Don't let, just shake that off of you right now and forget about it. It's a lie. How do you know, Dan? I know that 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 this stuff, and I don't have enough time, I'm out of breath, I have enough time to, to go through it all, but another study in 2018 found this. It found that religion with kids, not just LGBTQ kids, kids oftentimes leads to Depression, anxiety, eating and behavioral disorders, agoraphobia, alcohol misuse. I remember being in a fairly conservative youth group growing up as a kid, and I remember these kids had weird problems. Weird. And then I went to a a high school, a a regular public high school, and do you remember, they didn't have those problems. It was like every week we're praying for this girl because she's cutting herself, and then I go to Booker High School, nobody's cutting themselves. 
I was expecting to be like, if they're cutting themselves in youth grip, they're going to be like handing out razors in the public high school. And then I get to public high school and people are looking at me like, nobody's cutting themselves. I don't remember one kid at Booker High School in four years cutting themselves. You go to youth group, these kids are doing all sorts of crazy stuff because they are just wigging out because they were not designed in their emotions and their brain and their psychology and all this stuff. They were not designed to handle that kind of pressure, the pressure of certainty to get it right, to not make mistakes. I'll never forget this. We did a conference one time and there, there was this prophet guy. I use that term loosely. I'm not saying he's not, but he's not. Anyways, and, and he just said, he gets up, there's 600 kids. They, I don't want to, I don't, I'm going to use the English word for it, 600 randy kids. If you don't know what that is, look it up. They are full of testosterone. They are wanting to explore anything and everything, if you know what I mean. They are just, you can just sense it. You can smell it. It smells like B.O. and hormones in the room, okay? There's 600 of these kids, and they're there, and they're just full of that, right? And I remember they had these kids at the altar weeping and gnashing because they're so, I remember seeing this kid on the ground. He's like 14 years old. He's just screaming at the top of his lungs because he is just so full of regret and needs God's forgiveness so bad. I'm like, what could a 14-year-old boy have done to this point? Some 14-year-old, some you know, middle-class white boy. Like, what? What, did you steal from Target? You stole some bubble gum? What is going on? Screaming and gnashing. And that was revival. That was like a sign that we did something great in the conference. And then the guy gets up there and he's like, oh, I think some people here, I think some of you kids here, you teenagers are struggling with pornography. Huh. The Lord told you that, eh? 600 kids. This isn't a long time ago. All with cell phones that have access to everything, you think a couple of them are struggling with pornography? I tell you what, buddy, I will give you the ultimate profit award if you can tell me which one of them aren't studying, struggling with pornography in this room. And I'm not endorsing that at all. I don't think it's healthy for your mind at all, but I'm just saying like, really? And then I remember this one boy coming up to that altar call and he was brave because he admitted to all his friends he's struggling with pornography or whatever. And he comes up and the guy was like, it's broken off of you. It's, it's like... How about we embrace the fact that their hormones are raging, they're thinking about sex, like we did. I don't know why you guys are trying to act like, I never thought of it one time in my whole life. We know you did, and you quiet ones are the worst, okay? I remember there's times where my mom, you know, when I was married or in my life or something, my mom would have this, and I'm like being very veiled in my conversation. My mother's like, do you think that I've like, she's looking at me like, everything you've experienced and more times 10, I've already experienced. You don't have to act like I don't know. And I'm like, oh, good I don't want to hear this. Everything in more times 10. <laughs> right? The reality is we were a teenager and we were trying everything we could. I remember being a kid. We didn't have HBO because we were poor. And I remember just trying to like every 30 minutes you'd see like half of a woman's breast or something. Can we be real, men? 
have any men in the room ever tried to watch Scrambled HBO in their lives? And you just be like, I think that was, and then you're like, oh my God, this is an animal show. That wasn't what I thought it was. <laughs> that is disgusting that I even thought that was, right? We, were, we don't talk about it. We grow up as adults and we just act like, oh no, oh no. And then the kids, and we get up there full of righteous pride, nonsense, just full of pride and self-righteousness. And we say, some kids in this room are struggling with. And what do we do? What signal did we send out to the 598 of those 600 kids that at some time in their life have looked at some sort of piece of pornography? What are we communicating to those people in that those kids in that moment that you didn't come, one, only one of you came to the altar, the rest of you 597 kids, you're probably not going to make it into heaven because you didn't repent from this, even though you're doing something that's natural and normal and probably needs some context behind it, you didn't come up and receive and, and repent publicly to everybody. And so because of that, be very aware that God isn't playing around. It's a lie. It is a lie. It was never true. It is not true. God's love is bigger than all of that nonsense we have used to whip people into shape. It is bigger and it is. And let me tell you something. You want to be truly set free? Stop living scared of eternal damnation and punishment. Fear never, never leads to true love, ever. It never leads to equal relationship and never leads to something healthy and never leads to something that is authentic. If you're afraid of somebody, you don't, there's not love there. Because perfect love removes completely removes and eradicates and takes out and puts an end to fear in our lives. Do you hear me today? I want to read this to you. This is pretty cool. <laughs> There's no fear in love. You guys know this, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Pastor Dan, how do I know that something I'm listening to, absorbing, reading, hearing, in a religious setting, how do I know that it, it you know, passes the no fear test? Anytime there's a punishment, even an implied punishment, attached to the message, it's fear-based. If you have to tell me what is going to happen if I don't, you are motivating me by fear. If you tell me the consequences as a part of your argument for why I should do something, you're trying to motivate me and manipulate me with fear. When the Bible says we love him because he first loved us, there's no consequence built into that. There's no punishment built into that equation. It's pretty simple. We were like, wow, this love is unlike anything I've ever experienced. It is unconditional. It was there from the beginning. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't leave town when I mess up. It doesn't ghost me. 
It doesn't any of that stuff. It's just always there waiting for me. And it's bigger and greater and more wonderful than I've ever thought was even possible. And then you go, how could I not love that back? Instead of, well, you know God loves you. And because God loves you, you need to respond and, and do the right thing. And if you don't do the right, is the minute the consequence and punishment is attached to the equation. It, I don't care how much love they talk about in the beginning. If it ends with the potential consequences, you're hearing something that's manipulating us with fear. And living a fear-based life can easily transition into being cruel. I want to read this last part, and then we're going to go home, and we're going to call hundreds of people and tell them how great this message was. <laughs> Um, listen to this in verse 20 if anyone claims to love God but he cannot stand a fellow human I'm talking to you extreme political parties on both sides if anyone claims to love God but he cannot stand a fellow human his love for God is fake how is it possible to not love someone you can see with your eyes, yet claim to love an invisible God? Listen to this part. Love is not defined by our ability to like or dislike someone. Love is a God thing from start to finish. And God's conclusion, the Bible actually uses the word commandment, but it's the Greek word entole, which literally means completeness or conclusion. God's complete idea, God's conclusion on this is clear. Loving him includes loving your fellow human. There is no distinction. I don't want to hear how much somebody loves God if they hate a fellow human being. Especially, there's no reason for hate, but especially when that fellow human being has done nothing other than maybe think differently than you. Look different, love different, vote different. If we hate people, we cannot claim to love God. I think the greatest measure of understanding and responding to the greatness of the love of God, us loving him because he first loved us, that equation, one of the greatest measures of that is how we treat one another. Harvest, Harvest Church will be as long as I am the pastor for at least another week. <laughs> we will be a church where every person, every human being, every, from every political landscape, every sexual identity, every color, every creed, every income group, every religion and faith perspective, every person will be treated equally and loved the same, regardless of none of that stuff changes how we treat one another. And none of that stuff changes how God sees us. We will not dip our toes in the pool of fear here. We will not use fear to motivate people. We will not use fear to motivate people to give, to show up, to volunteer, to give me gifts on January 4th for my birthday. 
You'll just be God's favorite. But anyways, <laughs> none of that stuff, none of that stuff will be here. You, you say, that doesn't sound like a real successful recipe for a church. I don't care. We are going to do things th as right as we possibly, I'm not saying it's the right way. We're gonna do it as right as we know in this moment. And I believe the right thing is to make sure that we are editing everything that we communicate and do here under one idea. Is there any part of fear or potential punishment mixed into this equation? If there is, get rid of it. Get rid of it. We don't sing songs anymore, certain ones of them, because it has this stuff just lined into it. I want it gone. I want it out of our minds. I want it eradicated. I don't want to tell your story, Michael Kennedy, but when I started to write this message, I thought of you. Decades and decades and decades of serving the Lord under a fear-based environment that to this day, I love you with my heart, to this day, Michael is like doing everything he can to crawl out of a decade-long climb down into the pit of fear and fear-based religion to this day. I won't tell you how old he is. He looks, he looks 20 years younger than he is. But I think about you all the time, and I'm believing that for you and anyone else like you in this room that has had that experience, that the end of fear is today, that we will become fully convinced that perfect love, God's love, casts out every bit of fear in our lives, and that fear-based, motivated religion is no longer a part of our lives. Every bad tenant or idea or nonsense or critic or shame or whatever that's been put in our heads will no longer take up space. We're gonna charge them rent. We're gonna file eviction papers and say it's time to go. I will not listen to those voices anymore. My God is not that. Amen? Can we stand up and pray and get out of here? You wanna pray? Lord, we thank you because you, Jesus, you said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Lord, we embrace the truth of your word today, the truth of who you are, a God that is love, not just personifies it, not just practices it, but that you are love, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we, we want to love you back with everything in us. And we want to be that light and that love to everyone, to everyone, Lord. We today just set in our hearts to love better, to love more, to be kinder, and we just thank you for this message. We thank you, and we love you. Bless your people as they go about their days this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen.